This is the podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Speaking of Asia podcast by The Straits Times. This is Ravi Velour, and I'm an associate editor of the paper and its former foreign editor. This series of podcasts, which are based on my weekly columns in The Straits Times, focuses on Asian issues and distills my experience from four decades of covering the Asian continent. At this moment, the biggest event unfolding in Asia is the dramatic surge in COVID-19 cases being witnessed in India. From an average 10,000 cases a day not so long ago, the official caseload has doubled, quadrupled, and today is nudging 400,000 in a day. Thousands are dying, some while sitting in cars while waiting for admission to hospitals where there simply are no rooms available. Others are choking on beds at home with oxygen cylinders in short supply. Cremations of the dead are taking place in public parks. This is a disaster of an epic scale. WHO chief has described it as beyond heartbreaking. The last time anything of this magnitude has convulsed the subcontinent was when Britain partitioned India in 1947, leading to the birth of Pakistan as a nation carved out for Muslims. That year, more than a million are thought to have perished in the communal bloodshed involving Muslims on one hand and Hindus and Sikhs on the other. It is well possible that nearly 75 years later, with all the advances in health and infrastructure that have taken place, that number may be exceeded this year in India at the current rate of spread and mortalities. I want to make it clear that while much of the global media has focused on the shortcomings of the Indian government, I see this as a hybrid. It is, to begin with, a natural disaster foremost. No one could have foreseen that a bug of this virulence could have arrived and be transmitted to humans and spread so rapidly around the world from Wuhan, China, where it was first discovered, or that one wave would follow another. What makes it a hybrid, however, is that the effects of this act of nature was made worse by human error and emotions, complacency, power play, religion and class issues, and of course, utter misgovernance. Now, what are these factors? First is what I call the complacency virus. This isn't a trait unique to Indians, but it afflicts most of us. However, India is suffering because it dropped its guard earlier than most of us and because of the sheer size of the country, with a population of 1.3 billion people, the effects tend to get magnified in an enormous way. Lulled into a false sense of security by what seems to have looked like falling disease count, the Indian government and the people let their guards down. And they did so at the worst possible time in late February and March, when the mutants had just begun to spread. The health minister said on the 8th of March that India was in the end game of the pandemic. In Calcutta, New Delhi and Bombay, night parties went on unabated. Now they're paying a price. Even the rich, who largely escaped last year's initial wave, are suffering. Thousands of cases are being reported from high rises in Bombay, which is India's wealthiest city and business capital, 
whereas slum dwellers who'd formed a major cluster in the first wave seem to be getting off more likely this time. You're seeing even the wealthy struggle for medical attention. Those who can afford it or have the means are fleeing India, except that more and more countries are imposing restrictions on travelers from the country. Then there's politics, which is perennial in the country. India is not only the world's largest democracy, it also is the noisiest. While national elections are held every five years, some part of the nation is always in election mode because it has more than two dozen provinces with individual state assemblies. This time, five states were going to the polls and Prime Minister Narendra Modi's ruling BJP was particularly fancying its chances in the big state of West Bengal. Both the Prime Minister and his powerful Home Minister repeatedly addressed massive rallies in the state, and the two often appeared without masks, which of course is absolutely the wrong signal to send to the audience and those watching on television. The other side were equally enthusiastic in the contest for seats. The result was that the election became a super spreader event. Let me give you just one example. In West Bengal, new cases reported had dropped to 118 on the 8th of February. Today, more than 17,000 people are being reported daily in the state with COVID. On the borders of New Delhi, meanwhile, a farmer protest against Mr. Modi's efforts to overhaul the farm sector continues to this day. Those farmers have been agitating for several months, egged on by opposition parties, including the Congress and the Marxists. There's been no call to suspend or call off the protest in light of the COVID wave sweeping the country. And finally, there's religion, of course. There's an ancient Hindu bathing ritual in the Ganges called the Kumbh Mela that takes place every 12 years, centered in the town of Haridwar. In the normal course, the event would have fallen next year, but Hindu holy figures suggested this would be a more auspicious year. Now, senior BJP figures not only allowed the week-long ritual to go forward, many of them actively backed it. Hundreds of thousands were taking ritual dips in the Ganges, jostling for space. As you can imagine, this too was a super spreader. Thousands of people in neighboring states have been infected by returnees from Haridwar, which is in the state of Uttarakhand, next door to Uttar Pradesh, India's largest state. Today, Uttar Pradesh, which is downriver, is one of the worst suffering states. Its chief minister has asked officials to seize the property of those, he says, are spreading rumors about shortages of oxygen and medical supplies. These are the elements that make up the Indian disaster. There is one more. The vaccine rollout has been slow. As I record this podcast, only 2% of Indians have got their second jabs. There is a vaccine shortage that will not ease before the middle of July. So herd immunity is a while away for India. What happens next is anybody's guess. The state election results show no particular gain for Mr. Modi's BJP. Indeed, in the key state of West Bengal, it got trounced very badly. But so many lives could have been saved if the campaign had been conducted differently or the election itself postponed. We don't know what this means for Mr. Modi's political future. He's come through many previous missteps with his popularity undiminished, and he may yet do so again. 
My hunch, though, is that he's been considerably diminished by COVID. As I close this podcast, I would like to mention India's health sector. It is horribly underfunded, and the doctor-patient ratio is poor. Public hospitals are in bad shape, and private medical care is highly expensive. It would not be wrong to say the health sector has collapsed. However, that cannot be said of its overworked doctors and nurses and the attending staff. For months now, they've been working against impossible odds, risking their lives, surrendering leave, giving up the opportunity to school young children for very important examinations. They are the true heroes of the COVID-19 fight. With that, I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast. My name is Ravi Velour, and I shall be back next month with the next edition of the Speaking of Asia podcast. Goodbye. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.